0: fourth week, so obviously this is the fourth step, and uh, we've talked about the first three steps, which is really the preparation for the work that's at hand. Um, the thing about the first three steps is, is that they are basically the the precursor that we need to understand before we're capable to do the work. It's what we need to do and understand about ourselves before we can actually go do the work that's necessary to change who we are. The problem is is that it's easy to do the first three steps because it doesn't take much commitment in terms of looking at yourself. Uh, it takes being honest in the first step. It takes uh, understanding that I am not... I don't have the answer for my problem, but something else, somebody else, a higher power, may have the answer, and that can lead me out of my insanity. And in the third step, it's a decision that I make, a decision to trust the process, and as it says, to turn my will and my life over to the care of God as we understand them. Those are fairly easy things to do, although the sentences may be difficult and the concepts may be difficult, but the problem is this. most This is where most people stop. Most people stop at the third step. And they'll have excuses like I'm stuck at the third step or I don't understand the concept of God or I don't want to I don't want to I don't want to feel like I have to believe in it's too religious for me or turn my will and my life over is too difficult to understand. I'd there's plenty of excuses, but the bottom line and the biggest excuse of them all, which is really what all the excuses are, is that nobody wants to do the fourth step. You know, people are stu- stuck in the third step for for, for nine months because eight months, and three weeks, they're, they're procrastinating doing the fourth step. Because in the fourth step, and I think innately, somewhere deep down, when we read the fourth step, we know it's going to take. It's the end of BS. It's the beginning of something new. What new? I didn't know. Now, I've been, I've been in therapy... I've been in Phoenix House, I've been in uh, Encounter Groups, I've been in Gestalt, I've been in Primal Screen, I've been in Psychotherapy, I've been in all kinds of groups. I mean, some of the weirdest stuff out there, I've been there. And then I was taught how to lead them, too. And it was really weird. But I did all of them. I've been in Encounter Groups that lasted 72 hours, marathons, where you didn't sleep at all, maybe two or three hours. I've been in what they call guilt-copping sessions where you sit down and you, you talk about your guilt. And the first four hours you talk about it. This is where we lived in the community. And you talk about in the first four hours about uh, stuff that bothers you that's good. Like well, I stole peanut butter out of the fridge and I, I stole his toothpaste and shit like that. And then after six or seven hours, some more important stuff comes up. And after eight hours, some, some really important stuff comes up. After 24 hours, some real serious stuff comes up. After 36 hours, you're starting to look at your, at, your, at your life differently. You're starting to look back, what have I done? After 48 hours, you can't see straight. You haven't slept, and you're still doing it. And sometimes there's an hour and nobody stands up. After two and a half days, things come up that you can't believe. All the defenses are down. Everything is open. And people start admitting to things that they've done. And it becomes a very emotional, very... Anyway, the bottom line is, I've done all these things. Nowhere ever. In all these therapies... Oh, mind you, I did all these things, and I kept using. (laughs) I kept drinking. That's how good it was. Right? It was impressive. And it was very interesting, and it was sometimes mind-blowing, and it was all kinds of stuff, and especially the era at seminar training, which is now called the forum, I think. Anyway. But I kept drinking. I kept using. Nobody in all those therapies ever asked me, write down your resentments. Nobody. All those guys that spent years and years in school learning how to deal with us, it took one of you to tell me what to do, what made sense. Just write down your resentments. And that's what the four-step is about. I knew, deep down, that when I was going to write down my resentments, I was going to expose something. I was going to show something about me, but I wasn't sure what. I knew I didn't want to. And I knew it was going to be personal. And I knew it was going to make me feel vulnerable. And being personal and vulnerable, that's not my piece of cake. But just like I followed the suggestion not to use and drink between meetings, I followed the suggestion to get a sponsor. I followed the suggestion to go to meetings every day. I followed this suggestion as well. I followed the suggestion to write down my resentments. And the first thing I learned is something that has kept, stayed with me till today, and I say it a lot. A resentment is an attitude. It's an attitude that says that what's bothering me is somebody else's fault. For me, that was profound because it made me understand that if my problem is outside of me, then so is the solution. If I want the solution to my problem, I have to make the problem part of me. Because the serenity prayer says, I cannot change anything but I. I cannot change you. I cannot cannot change the way you think about me or what you're going to do. I can change myself. So if I am fed up and tired of my problems and of my life the way it it transpired, I'm going to have to learn to understand that the problems that I encounter are my doing. An attitude is, and I've said this before, an attitude is the result of uh, of, of emotions. Emotions feed attitudes. They create attitudes. Attitudes feed or motivate behavior. So if I have a bad attitude, I'll have consequently bad behavior, corresponding to the bad attitude. The bad behavior will result in a bad reaction, which creates a bad feeling. I'm pissed off. And because I'm pissed off and I have a bad emotion, I have a bad attitude. I find it interesting that AA is the only program that figured this out in all its simplicity, in all its candor, in all its the way it's written down in few words that as simple as it is, is as profound. I write down my resentments. I do what's called a searching and fearless moral inventory of myself. I write down my resentments. Whom do I resent? What did they do? What did it affect inside of me? What part of me was hurt? My manhood? Did I not feel like a guy? Did I not feel like I'm part of? Did I feel rejected? Whatever. What part of me was hurt? How could I have prevented it? And what was my part in it? Those are the five things. I had a list. I think I've done. Four or five real big. Fourth and fifth steps. But I had this list of what I was going to share with my sponsor. And then I had this list that I was not going to share with my sponsor. But I did anyway. And then I had a blacklist. Which nobody's going to know. And I found out that when I shared that list, there was another list under there of stuff that nobody was going to know. You are not going to learn about this about me. In my last big fourth and fifth, I did share that part. I did. I did it with a sponsor whom I knew had a similar experience when he grew up. So I trusted him. And... As profound as the experience was, as moving and emotional it was as well. But I never ever have felt so freed as if the chokehold came off. I never felt so at peace afterwards. It says in the book, you do your fifth step. We're not there yet. We're talking about the fourth, but sit down, quiet down, meditate, pray, thank your higher power that somebody gave you this opportunity you know what? That's what this is about. Last week I said we are the survivors of our past. Many people don't survive. A lot of them don't survive. I think the numbers are inf- infinitely small of who ends up here and who becomes successful in doing this. 2%? 1%? I don't know the number. I know it's little. Most alcoholics, most addicts don't end up here. They never do. And those that hear about it, maybe they show up and they don't stay. Some die on the way. Some go to prisons and disappear. But we are the ones that survive. We are the ones that survive the street, the mayhem, the BS, the bad parents, the bad girlfriends, the bad boyfriends. We survived it and we are here. And although I've had knives to my head, uh, guns to my head, knives on my throat. I've never been as afraid as sitting in front of my sponsor, having to tell him what happened to me. And it's, it's, but I had one thing that was given to me by him. I had his trust. So I did what was asked, and the result was amazing. But I'm going ahead of where I want to go. It says, made the searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. That's the step. The tradition associated with it says each group should be, able, should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or AA as a whole. <clears throat> the overriding principle that goes with this is Courage. <clears throat> The traditions are formed and created as a framework within which AA can function, which in where which in which we can function autonomously from AA as a whole. Each group has its own setup, its own making, its own um, format. It's the way we want to do it. There is no specific way it has to be done. Nor is there a president, nor is there somebody who's in charge. We choose amongst us who runs the meeting from month to month. It is that safety that the tradition, that the traditions create that allow us to work the steps. This tradition, although it seems like it may not be Congress with what this step says actually does create the safety to do what we need to do in step four. Uh, the group as a whole, as we are, much like the individual, must eventually, at some point in their life, and some point in the life of the group, conform to principles that guarantee our survival. Uh, it is within the group that we do when we do the four-step, the beginning of the process of change that guarantees my survival. The same thing with the tradition. It is, <clears throat> we, are, we are given the freedom to do the group the way we want to as long as there's two things we do not touch. We do not injure AA. We do not infringe upon AA's idea. And we have no affirmations with any other institution, with any other situation, with any other with any any other body. We are on our own. We're independent. Um, when AA started out, um, Bill W. joined the Oxford Group in 1934. The the first six steps, the steps from the Oxford Group were changed to the 12 steps that we currently use in 1938. But in December of 1937, there was a meeting in New York with those that were prominent in AA and John D. Rockefeller. Rockefeller, a rich guy, bankster. I mean, he's been around. He's very wealthy. The family is extraordinarily wealthy. He's the guy that actually gave and donated the uh, The land that the United Nations is built on, um, Rockefeller understood that AA was something different. There was something totally new that actually could work, and he wanted to put money into AA. He wanted to put money into it and make it work, money which was refused because it would have made us dependent upon something else. What I don't know, it could have been anything. <clears throat> but it was, that money was never given, it was never accepted. It's just a beginning idea that we cannot be affiliated with any group, with any institution, with any outside thought. We are on our own. The moment we accept an affiliation with another institution, our rules will change. Our system will change. We will have to change the way we do our things according to somebody else's ideas because they gave the money for us to survive. Well, you know what? If this doesn't survive, it is because of us. It's because we could not make it, because we could not do it, because we could not manage it. We have been given the freedom, and it says it. Each group should be autonomous, except in matters affecting other groups or AA as a whole. We are the ones that create this. And if it doesn't work, it's because of us. Nobody else. We're the only ones to blame. And we're the only ones that get the benefit, too, as a result. So within, within that framework, <clears throat> we are capable of doing the four step and, making an, and creating a situation where I can question myself, where I can do the first part of the self-examination, which is necessary for me to find a freedom to live a better life. The first three steps do not provide this. Yes, I understand my problem. Yes, I know that I'm insane. And yes, I don't have the answers. And okay, I'll trust the process. That's it, the first three steps. It doesn't talk about me and what I have to do. The fourth step is the first one where it does. There are six steps that will create that will create a personality change. And believe me, it is a personality change. We will change as a result of these six steps. Three pairs... And the first part of the pair, like step four, is an internal process. Something I do with myself. The second part of the pair, number five, seven, or nine, I do with somebody else. It's specifically set up this way. It is set up this way sequentially, not because life is sequential, but just because, like any classroom, we need to learn things one, one number, one step at a time. Life does not happen sequentially. Things happen to me that I can that I can use the steps on. There are there things that have happened that my sponsor says, read the fourth step. Read the fifth step. Read the ninth step. Do a tenth step. This is the sixth and seventh step. Deal with it. <clears throat> Actually, he, he likes to say that. Life is lived in the sixth and the seventh step, and then he usually hangs up. But he says something else. It says, may they searching and fear Fearless moral inventory... Of ourselves, and my sponsor has a a nice saying that I like. It says, "Sobriety is not for cowards," and I like that because it's true. I've had to look at things that I did not want to look at. Not only that, I've had to talk about it. I had to show it. I had to expose it. I had to tell things about it. I had to I had to lay it, lay it open, no matter what. Guilt and shame is what we're dealing with. Guilt and shame are the two emotions. <clears throat> Excuse me. Guilt and shame are the two emotions, the only two emotions that tell me who I am, what I am worth, or not worth. You know, we hear that we do get what we deserve. We don't. I don't believe we do. At least. We get what we are, or what we feel we are deserving of. That's what we get. Totally different. Guilt and shame are the two emotions that tell, that tell me what I am deserving of. And as long as guilt and shame reign in my life, I will not be deserving of anything because I'm guilty. Because I'm shameful. Because of the things that I've done to myself and to others. Because of things that others have allowed to do to me. The things that I've taken from others. The things how I hurt other people. All those things have made me look back at my life in a specific way. I like to look at it this way. It's like a, it's like a picture book. I look at my life and I see these pictures. And they remind me. They remind. There's pictures of me in that book, and they remind me of whom I was. And at the end of the book, no good pictures. There's all these pictures of memories, you know, uh, uh, stuff that happened. You know, the thing that I told it, I what happened in the elevator between the fourth and the fifth floor. You know, that was one of those pictures. I had another picture where I I I, I was in a train in Holland and. Uh, I was, uh, I'd been up for for a long time. And, uh, I was getting sick. And I was out of stuff. I was, was, and I was getting sick. I knew I was getting sick. And I only had a little bit left. And I went to the bathroom. And I opened up the paper and I'm looking at it. And as I'm looking at it, I'm vomiting. Oh. You know how it goes sometimes, because spiders back at you. And, uh, the picture I have is this. Me on the floor in a public bathroom in a train. Dipping on the floor, finding out where the stuff is. and Putting it in my mouth. Not caring what else goes with it. It was nasty. It was nasty. The tra- I mean, it was nasty. Before I vomited. It was nasty. <laughs> That's another picture. You know, I was invited to this Christmas party. And I bowed into the Christmas tree. And I vomited into the Christmas tree. And then fell front first into the Christmas tree. I didn't go there to do that, it just happened. You know? (laughs) know? It wasn't my fault. It was the eggnog or whatever. (laughs) So I have these pictures. And all these pictures remind me of me. And there's plenty of those. And I didn't have one picture where I could say I feel good about that. I learned that if I start sharing. These things with somebody else, if I start sharing what happened to me and I start talking about this, that the power that these pictures have over me diminishes. For some reason, and I'm not sure how it works, but I think just daylight, if daylight shines on the problem, the problem goes away. At least these type of problems. And I found that sharing these problems with another person, Looking at them first myself, and then admitting to them, I found that that changes the whole approach this problem has on me. It takes away the chokehold, it takes away the fear, it takes away the anger, it takes away, it takes away the resentment. Somebody in the beginning of my program suggested once, you should, I was pissed about something, whatever. I just remember I was pissed. And my sponsor said, pray for the guy. And I'm like, are you, abs- are you kidding? Are you effing kid I mean, really. <laughs> and, I mean, that was the last thing I was going to do. Are you kidding? I mean, really? But, just like I was asked to do other things that I didn't want to do. He says, even if you don't believe it, it doesn't matter. Just do it. Just do it. He was a little bit more forceful in his terminology. But, so I did. I prayed for this guy. And I had a physical sensation. It was a sensation where I could feel the resentment leave me. And I was converted. I changed my opinion about prayer. Not so much that I, not so much that I became religious. I understood that the process did something for me that I did not understand before. And it's not that I understand perfectly well how it works. I just know that it does work. And I'm not questioning it. And I still do this. 25 years later, I pray for people. I pray for those that I love. I pray for those that I love less. I pray for those that I love a little bit more or less. And I pray for those that I don't love at all. <laughs> and usually that list is there. But that list over time has become smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. And sometimes I have to search whom do I resent? And then I pray for those whose names I forgot. That makes me feel good. I had an interesting thing happen. What I pray for, what I pray for is what I would want. Because otherwise it's worthless. I pray that this person that I resent gets what I would want to get. Otherwise, it's not valuable. And as I'm doing this, I'm sitting on my... I'm praying. Johnny and Peter... No, I'm not... I just didn't do it like that, but felt like that. And I remember thinking, I would like some of that stuff that I'm trying to pray for all these other people. That's a clear thought. I would want some of that. And I usually don't hear voices. I mean, really, I don't. But that moment I did. As clear as a bell from the back of my head or somewhere else, a voice said to me, you will get it when you pray it for others. They gave me chills. It absolutely forked me. I don't know who said it, what said it, how it came. I did not imagine it. It was absolutely as clear as a bell. As loud as daylight. So, I do it. And the voice was right. I have found that if I pray for others, especially those that I resent, <clears throat> and I pray for them to get what I would like to receive, that my life gets better. It's like, it's like a visualization process. It's like I visualize that those that I don't like, I may like because they get what I want. I don't know what it is. I just know it works. <clears throat> so, the searching and fearless moral inventory of myself <coughs> is the first step in the program where I had to look at myself and learn to understand that I am not a victim of what's happened to me. I am not the victim of my life. I am the cause of my life. In everything, absolutely, unequivocally, without exception. There is nothing that happens to me that I am not the cause of. Even though it may sound unfair or unrealistic or whatever, it doesn't matter. Everything that happens to me, I cause. Even if it's done by somebody else at random. I walk across the street, somebody hits me with the car and breaks my leg. I caused it. Why? Because if I do not take responsibility for what happens to me, I can't fix it. So I caused it. I'm the one that crossed the street. I'm the one that didn't see him or maybe did see him, whatever. It doesn't really matter. I caused it. It is a harsh attitude to have. Because it takes away all excuses. There are no excuses left with that attitude. I cannot blame anybody else. Much as I would like to. But I can't. Nor can I afford to. If I believe that my life is in my hands. And that I can change my future. Which is I believe that. I believe that my future is the creation of my thoughts. It starts here. And it ends up here. Everything in between is caused by here. I'm watching you guys. You're watching me. Where is this happening? Here? No. It's happening here. Nowhere else. Just like with you. It's happening inside of your head. Not out there. We happen to share the same room. We happen to share the same space. We happen to share the same wavelength. Whatever you want to call it. So we can share with each other what goes on. But where is this happening? Inside of me. So if it is happening inside of me. And the serenity prayer says that I'm the only one that can change me. That tells me that there is somewhere a power that I can find and tap into. That allows me to change my future. That's why I say everything that happens to me. There is no excuse. It is my fault. It is my cause. Fault may be the wrong word. It is my doing. It is my doing. There are things that are happening to me in my life right now that I do not like. I would love to blame somebody else. But I can't. It's my doing. Why? Because if it weren't my doing, it wouldn't be happening to me. Very simple. It's my doing. Even though that the guy who did it may have been dishonest. He may have been a predator. He may have done some things that are not allowed. It doesn't matter. The common denominator was, I was there. I'm always there. So, that's a powerful principle. And it all starts with the fourth step. It starts with the idea that if I can change the way I look at things, my world will change. This is a simple approach. I change the way I deal with you, you will change the way you deal with me. I have a different experience. That's it. My thought is to create something. It starts with a thought. I put it into action. Next day, next year, five years later, it doesn't matter. There it is. Where did it start? Where is it happening? Right here. I'm in charge of this. I have the power to do something with it. I have the power to create my life the way I want to. Now, why is this? If that sounds so great, which I believe it does sound great, and I believe in it, how come none of us are really that capable of doing it? Or some, of, some are better than others. Because it starts with the three preparatory steps. The honesty to understand where I'm at. The willingness to understand that I may not have all the answers. The faith that there may be a process that I can trust that can change the way I look at things and change the way I do things. And then the work starts. And number four is just the beginning of a longer and much deeper process that we'll get into later. But I believe that people innately know and feel what's involved with this. And this is why people go out. When we were driving here, uh, there was five of us. We were uh, talking about friends of ours that are MIA. You know, and they go to meetings, they go back out, and what happens? They don't, can't find their way back in. You know, and, and this is my fear. My fear is that one day I'll wake up and I'm out. I chose to use or drink again. I dream about stuff like that. You know, and I... My my fear is is that I will lose my vigilance. For somehow, some way, back 25 years ago, the stars aligned in the right way with the moon and the sun and Saturn was there and... Whatever. The stars aligned in the right way and saw it fit for me to find sobriety. And I think that that moment... It's not given to me at any any point in in, in time. It was given to me right there and then. And I hold on to it because I see what happens to people that don't. They end up in a time warp. The time warp where they come back month after month, three months, four months, five months, go back out, one month, two months, three months, out, on and on and on and on. And all of a sudden, ten years have passed. That's the time warp. God, I got 25 years clean and sober. And I know the people that were clean and sober at my, when I sobered up. And they got six months. On and on. It's a time warp. You know, I, so I'm, I'm, I'm holding, I'm on this, on, this, on this boat that is AA. We go through the oceans. And there's waves. And I hold on to the railing. And I look out and it's a great trip. And sunset. And sun up. And it's beautiful. And sometimes it feels that the sea is so calm. I can let go. I sway with the wind and it's beautiful. Life is great. And I never saw that rogue wave coming. I never saw it coming and it just swept me off the deck. So I hold on. I go to meetings. I have a sponsor. I do the steps part of a fellowship and I meditate the five magic things that I do on a daily basis so that today I will stay clean and sober so that today I can put into action what the fourth step says, which is, if I look inside myself, and find my fault, inside of me, then I can change that fault. And if I can change that fault, or at least do something different, there's a simple rule that says, you do something different, something different will happen. The wrong thing is not doing anything. And when I do something different, something different will happen, it will tell me whether it's the right thing or not. It will automatically tell me, so I do this four step and within this four step I find things that have happened to me before and how I react to the world I find inside of me how things have come to me and how I react specifically to specific things in such a way and by, de- by looking at it and by analyzing it I now have the incredible capability of seeing something happening and knowing it's trouble so stay away. It doesn't happen all the time. It happens a lot of the time. You know, it happens a lot of the time that I can see something and I know how I'm going to react. So I don't. Somebody, my parents died in 2002. They were killed in a car accident and I was pissed off. I went to Holland. I I, I went to the funeral. And I was upset and sad and done and pissed off. I came back. And I'm on 95. And I had this truck that went real fast. And I'm in the the HOV lanes here. And I'm right here. And there's a car in front of me. And I'm just driving my my own business. And this little Honda comes next to me. little little, shitty little car. And I know (laughs) what he's going to do. I know what he's going to do. He is going to cut me off. And get in front of me. I know it. And sure enough, he did. That was it. I exploded. I got on his ass. Got in front of him. This is 95 near Davy, where, where, where the Davy exit is going south. There's like six lanes. I caught him up from lane, lane six all the way to <laughs> until he was standing still right there with the Davy is. This is this he was standing still. And I got out of my car. I got a sap out of my car. And I walked to his car. and I was going to break all his windows. And all I could see was his headlights and his eyes. They were the same size. <laughs> and he looks at me like this. And he backs up. Boom. And I made him go to Dania, which is good Man. enough. <laughs> you know? So I'm standing there on the side of the road. And this is 2002. I have, I have 14 years of sobriety, something like that, whatever. I mean, I've been, I've been around. And I'm standing on the side of the road thinking, what am I doing? What, what, what am I doing? You know, I mean, all he did was cut me off. That's all. Yes, he didn't know who he was dealing with. <laughs> I grant him that. Do you know who I am? <laughs> you know, that kind of bullshit. But all he did was cut me off. And I risked going to jail for it. My voice told me, kill him. And guess what? Had I done something stupid, and had the cops shown up, and had I gone to jail, that same voice would have said, you stupid. You, you stupid son of a bitch. How could you? That's when I learned to not really trust that voice. Because it's not on my side. It isn't. But I learned that if I don't deal with what happens to me, it deals with me. That's what happened that day. I learned that I got hurt. Hey, my parents died. Of course I got hurt. But I didn't cry about it. I didn't talk about it. I didn't, I didn't do anything with it. I went to the funeral. I went home. And all that anger, all that, all that feelings, this poor guy was the, was the end result of it. So today somebody cuts me off. I actually do, I do this. I say, I hope he makes it home safe. Because, what am I going to do with the anger? Where am I going to go with it? Nowhere. It just sits inside of me. You know, people talk about resentment. You say, way it's as peeing down your leg. I'm the only one that's bothered by it. You know, nobody else is. So I say stuff like that. I, and I've, there's other things that happen when they happen that I say quick prayers. Quickly. So that I don't have to live with the anger. Because the anger is an emotion. That will create an attitude. That will make me run this guy off the road. And take out all the, li- all, all, the, all, all, all the glass out of his car. All the windows. Why? Because he made me feel a certain way. Think about this for a second. He made me feel a certain way. Who's feeling it? I am. Who made me feel that way? Was it he or was it I? I made myself feel a certain way. And I gave in to it. And I had a bad attitude. And I had bad behavior. And by the grace of God, he got away. <laughs> because I would have done something stupid, which would have got an even worse attitude, worse, worse uh, emotion, etc., etc. So the fourth step, within the safety of what we do, within the safety of this AA, of this system where we've been given the freedom to deal with ourselves the way we see fit. As long as we adhere to the AA principles and we are not affiliated with any other body. Within that framework, we can try to find our own truth. For one simple reason. is to stop the life we used to live. To stop the promise we used to have. To stop the mayhem that happened. To stop the anger that always came up. To stop the fear that I'm plagued by. To stop all those things. And I have found so far, after all the treatment facilities that I've been in, that this is the only thing that has worked. For me. That's good enough for me. AA groups are self-regulating according to certain principles which I take as part of this. the steps. Much like we are self-managing alcoholics that work alone with other alcoholics so that we can be in in these groups according to the steps. That's how the fourth tradition fits in with the four step. The four tradition creates a principle and it takes the group on its own as part of the whole, just like we on our own, as part of this group, find somebody that we can sit down with and deal and and share our life with. And then come back to the group. Step 4 apart from dealing with resentments it deals with desires it deals with desires that have not been met it deals with desires that have not been gratified it deals with desires that we have not been able we have not been able to look at or we have not been able to get what we wanted <coughs> And if we do not get what we feel we deserve, (coughs) then we will try to find it one way or the other. Um, (coughs) I try to do it with the use of alcohol, with the use of drugs. But it has to do with what I want in life and the things that I want. The, The background of all serious emotional problems, is misdirected desire. The background of a resentment is not getting what I want. Whatever it may be. And it, afe- and it affected a certain part of my personality. Whatever that part may be. One thing that I, that was my biggest problem is that I did not get what I wanted right now. I wanted what I wanted right now. I didn't want to wait for it. I didn't want to have to work for it. I, my attitude was, I deserve what I want right now. So if I'm not going to get it, I'm going to take it. And of course, that behavior creates problems. <clears throat> so the fourth step where we do a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves is really an investigation of where and how our desires became misdirected. Our resentments are misdirected desires. It's We did not get what we want, nor were we taught, at least I was not taught, how to go after what I wanted. Nobody sat down with me and said, these are the rules of life. This is how you deal with anger. This is how you deal with disappointment. This is how you deal when a girl breaks up with you. This is how you deal when a loved one dies. This is how you do things. This is how you deal with life. Nobody did. And I'm quite sure the same thing happened with all of you. Nobody sat down and taught us how to live this life. So we came in it trying to find, by whatever means, what could make me feel better. I did not know that what I felt inside of me was not a good feeling. Because I had nothing to compare it to. What I did know was when the day I found a magic substance that I felt Good. And it was, really? It's like this? I can change the way I feel in a split second? I'm in love. And I was. I was in love what it did for me. It was immediate. A love affair that became a hate affair after a long time. So when we do the four-step we look what my part in my resentment is. I will find automatically what my misdirected desire was. What is it that I did not get fulfilled? And when that happens, I'm on the road to change. I haven't. In the fourth step, we just look at it. It is in the fifth step. Let me share it with somebody else. Which is an entirely different process. The fourth step is scary, the fifth step is scarier. I'm out of time. Thank you very much. It was an honor.